morning. Do you got me? Am I on? Okay. All right, if you please, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to deal with a, a, a big chunk of uh, Scripture today, ver- verses uh, 17 through 32, I believe. So it'll be a big section that we're going we're gonna to cruise through. So before I get started, I want to make a disclaimer. And that disclaimer is, as I preach or as I teach through this, this is stuff that I deal with also and that I have to work on in my own life. I never want anybody to think because I'm up here and I'm preaching and I'm teaching this that I have this down and that I don't struggle with some of the things that the Lord commands us to do. Also, in this text that we're going to deal with, instead of hitting every verb, I just wanted to, to just bring these things that when the Apostle Paul starts to tell us what we are to be doing, what we are to, we're going to get a lot of putting off and putting on. These are not suggestions. The Bible is very clear in the language that these are commands. They're not, I think this would be a good idea. No, they are commands. And so with that, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for our time that we can come and open your word, Lord. Thank you that we can come and sing praises to you and worship you, Lord, as we lift our voices to you and as we turn our eyes to Christ. Lord, I just pray now that you would come with your spirit and bring comfort to us and conviction to us and healing to us. Give us wisdom, give us encouragement, and give us boldness to proclaim your truth, to proclaim your son, Jesus, and him crucified. Father, I just pray that you would be lifted high and that you would be seen and that you would be glorified. Give us strength, Lord, to live how you wish us to live. In your name, amen. So Paul starts off in Ephesians chapter 4, and he tells us, because of everything Christ does, and this is, this is what we have to still keep in focus here, everything Christ has done for us, right, starting with chapter 1, all those things that he has done for us, he says, now that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we have been called. And so then he goes in and says, how we are to do this. And he continues in his thought here. And after we looked at last week, how the church is to grow inwardly, how we are all gifted, how elders and pastors or shepherds are supposed to equip the saints for the work and ministry so that we can build each other in love. He then gives us in verse 17, he gives us uh, another uh, a, a way to, to go. This is what he says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensualities, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off 
your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he continues to go. So the first thing I want us to look at as we look at this new man that has been created, Paul tells us that we are to no longer walk as these new people, as these new creations. We're to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. How do the Gentiles walk? Well, in the futility of their mind, their vain, their folly, they have religious air. And when that religious error starts to take place and that vanity comes in, well, they're darkened in understanding. This darkened in understanding means that they're shrouded in darkness. It's just not aspects of their life. They are shrouded in complete darkness, which leads to this alienation from God. They're strangers to the life of God because they have a hardness of heart. They're calloused in their heart. And, and, and this word callous is to become insensible. It, it, it's a non-feeling towards the things of God. We've all had calluses, right? I have calluses from cutting hair in certain areas on my thumb and on, my, on this finger. So that's where my shears hit. So I can literally take and cut those calluses off because there's, there's no feeling in them. There's nothing there. And this is what he's saying. They're, they're, they're callous. They, they have... That they have no sense of God. They're alienated from the life of God. And he's saying, don't walk this way anymore. Don't walk this way anymore. They're greedy. They're, they're, they're covetous. But what are they, they greedy for? They're, they're greedy for gain in their, uh, in their sexual immorality, right? This, they're unclean. They're impure. They're, 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 they walk in lewdness. This is what Paul is saying, that we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles walk. This is not to be characteristic of our life anymore. Because Jesus has saved us and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we have a new life. And that life is to be put off. It's taking old clothes and throwing them away because Jesus has given us new clothes. But here's the problem. Sometimes we still have some of these characteristics in our life because we really don't want to get rid of the old clothes because sometimes the old clothes are comfortable. Right? I always get mad at Jenny when she throws away all my old sweatshirts that got holes and everything in them because they're comfortable. Well, we have to look at it the same way here. We have to take off these old clothes, how we used to walk, and we have to put on the new clothes, and these new clothes are created in the likeness of God. This is what we see. This is walking in obedience to God. What we are going to go through is walking in obedience to God. Now, this is what we have to remember. We walk this way because we are accepted in Christ, not to be accepted. The minute we start walking in these ways that Paul tells us that we're going to look at in a manner of trying to please God more, then it becomes legalism. We have to be careful that we live this life in God's grace and not in legality. Not in legality. That's the, that, that's the key thing. Uh, Christian in um, John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, Christian has a burden, and he's trying to get rid of a burden, right? And so these people send him to uh, worldly wise man. And they send him to Mr. Legality. 
to deal with these things. Brothers and sisters, that's not where we're, we're not to go to Mr. Legality or worldly wise men. We're to go to the scriptures and we're to be obedient to God because we're this new creation. Now, what does this new man look like? First of all, this new man knows that Jesus is truth. Look at your Bible. Look at verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him and the truth is in Jesus. We've heard about Jesus, we're taught about Jesus, and we know that the truth is in Jesus. Look at That's how we learn Jesus, right? We hear and we're taught and then we know. We know that Jesus is truth, right? Listen to John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus embodies truth. That's what John 14, 6 says. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can sit here and Jesus can sit there and say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. All truth resides in Christ. You want to know any type of truth whatsoever, you turn to your Bible. You see what Christ says about it. 1 John 5.20, this is what the apostle says in 1 John. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. John is very clear. Jesus is the true God. So this new man, this new creation that that God is doing in us, this work that he is beginning, knows that Jesus is truth. Secondly, he is renewed in the spirit of his mind. Now this word renewed means to be renovated. We all know what renovated means, right? If we've worked on houses, we renovate houses. We tear it all down and we put brand new in. This is what he's talking about. But it's an inward reformation. It's an inward change. It's an inward renovation. He's working on us inwardly. This is what it is. We're to be renewed in our minds. Listen to Psalms 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, renovate, reform in me a right spirit. This is a new man. We're starting to think rightly now. We're starting to think in this right wiseness or righteousness. We start to think in this way. Romans 12, 2 puts it this way. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul in Romans tells the same things. We're to be renewed in our mind. Where does this renewal come from? Well, it comes from the scriptures. We have to be in the word. If we're not in the word, we're not renewing our mind. If we're in the world, the world's going to influence us. If we're in the scriptures, the scriptures are going to influence us. Where do you want to be influenced? Do you want to be influenced by the world or by God? This is the renewing of our minds. Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him in baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in this newness of life. We have a newness of life. 
because we're being renewed in our minds. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, we all know this one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Brothers and sisters, we are in Christ. Christ has come, and he has saved us, and he has given us new affections, and he has given us a new heart, and that is how we should live in this newness of life, renewing our minds. Not only that, but he gets into this section where we're going to dive into like six different things. Look at what he says. He says this in verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have this. Then he sits there and he says, therefore, here we go again, because of this putting on and this putting off and this creating of new, therefore, because you're a new man and you're a new creation, therefore, this is how we are to be with each other and those around us. Look at verse 25 first. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are not to be falsely speakers. You are not to be a liar. Simply put, you're not to be a liar. Putting away falsehood, false speech, false religion, false actions. You are to be a truth speaker, not even a little white lie. That should not be characteristic of the believer. God cannot lie. Therefore, we should not be liars. We should be truth tellers. Listen to Leviticus 19, 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. Psalm 119, 29. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. We're not to have any false ways. Proverbs, listen to Proverbs 6, 16, 17, 18. Listen to this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. He hates liars. Don't lie. Proverbs 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. You know what that word abomination means? That word abomination means it makes God want to puke. It makes him sick to his stomach when his children lie. This is what Paul is telling us. Don't lie. But, but, uh, but Colossians 3, 9, uh, 3.9 says the same thing. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. But instead of lying to one another, we're to speak truth into each other's lives. We're to speak truth into each other's lives. We're to speak the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. That's what we are to do. Proverbs 8, 7 says that, for, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Proverbs twelve seventeen. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Ephesians 4.15, 4, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We are to speak the truth, but we are to speak it how? How are we to speak it? In love. That means not harshly. We're not to be harsh with each other. We're not to 
be down on each other. We're not to, to degrade each other, but we're to speak the truth in love for the building up of the body. For the building up of the body. My dad used to always say when I was a kid, he used to always say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, right? Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, as you read through Proverbs, if you read through Proverbs, listen to how God talks about the people that speak, and you'll come away with one thing. Don't open your mouth. Unless it's to edify for the building up of each other, right? Jesus is the perfect example of this. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.22 says. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. His speech was absolutely perfect. That's why our eyes have to be focused on Jesus. Secondly, we are to be angry, but not sin. We can be angry, not sin. This word anger, this might be kind of crazy, but we're going we're to get through it here. This word anger means this. This is a deep-seated conviction. It's a righteous anger, not an anger that gets you hot under the collar or raises your temperature or or uh, get, you, get you upset because you were inconvenienced. This is a righteous anger, and we can have a righteous anger uh, for, for ideas. Uh, we can have a righteous anger against abortion. We can have a righteous ang- ang- uh, anger against evil in general, anger against immorality, anger against ill treatment of God's people. We can have an anger that is a deep-seated conviction. We can't have this. Psalm 4, 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Jesus was angry without sin. Jesus got angry, but it was a perfect anger. In Mark 3, 5, he's angry at the Pharisees. And he looked around at them, that's the Pharisees, with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched out and his hand was restored. He was angry with the Pharisees. When we read through the Gospels, that's where we see Jesus, who did he go after? He went after the religious people. He went after you and me because we're the religious people. That's who he came after. He went after them. In Mark 10, 14, he says, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. This is when they weren't letting the children come to Jesus. And Jesus was indignant with this. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. But, but we are to be angry, but not sin. But he, God gives us a timeline on this, right? He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil opportunity. We don't take the anger to bed. It doesn't go to bed with us. Even our righteous anger doesn't go to bed. We have to deal with it. Because the minute we don't deal with it, even our righteous anger can turn into self-righteous anger. And then all of a sudden it becomes about me and about what I think instead of being about what God thinks. And then that gives the devil opportunity. And the devil sneaks right in and he says, you're absolutely right and your brothers and sisters in Christ are wrong. He gives, we can't give the devil opportunity. Be angry, brothers and sisters, but don't sin. Be angry at the right things. And even if you have sinful anger, don't take that to bed with you. Deal with that anger so that we may be children of God, dealing with the right anger. Third, we're no longer to steal, but we are to work. No longer to steal, but we are to work. 
Verse, 20, verse 27. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the thief, right? The thief will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's really simple. And God commands us in Exodus 20, 15, thou shalt not steal. And as we go down into the Ten Commandments, he also says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, covet your neighbor's donkey, covet your neighbor's whatever. We are not to covet. It's the same thing. Stealing is the same thing. And this could come down to the littlest thing. I took a pencil from my teacher. It's simple. Just little things. The, 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 word, the word for steal, it's really great in the, in, the, in the Greek word. Does anybody know what the Greek word for steal is? You're going to laugh when you hear it. Klepto. <laughs> right? That's what we call somebody who steals, a kleptomaniac. Right? That's actually the Greek word. It means, it means klepto. It means to take away. That's what it means. Take away. Don't steal things, brothers and sisters. The thief doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who, have, who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be a thief. Don't steal things. But he says to do what? He says to work. To work. Boy, that's a, that's a tough one nowadays, huh? You know, we, we have more jobs than we have people that want to work. You know, but we are to work. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, as children of God, work. Work because that glorifies God. Listen, listen to me. Everybody look at me. Work is not a product of the fall. You have to understand that. Before Adam fell, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that God put the man in the garden to do what? To work. It's where we glorify God is in our work. Proverbs 14, 23. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Work. 1 Thessalonians four eleven. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Well, that'd be a good one. We talked about that gal. She didn't mind her own affairs this, this time. <laughs> and to work with your hands. To be a good worker as we were instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Work with your hands. Also in Thessalonians, Paul, Paul puts it real plainly. If you don't work, you don't eat. Pretty fair. So why? So why should we work with our hands? It's to share with anyone in need. It's to give back to people. Instead of taking away, that's what the thief does, right? The thief steals for himself. He wants everything for himself. But God says, no, you go and work, and you have a job. Why? So that you can take care of other people. So that you can take care of other people. Share with those in need, right? Share with them. Luke 3, 11, And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Romans twelve thirteen: Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. 1 Timothy 6, 18. They are to do good. This is instructions to the rich. This is instructions to us. If you have a toilet in your house that flushes, guess what? You're rich. Because most of the world doesn't. 
So we are rich, and this is instructions to the rich, that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. No matter what your financial state is, brothers and sisters, in relations to the world, we're rich. Share, share when we can. Paul continues, and he says, not only do we not to be liars and we're not to be thieves, but our speech, our speech. I might stop it right here, <laughs> but our speech, and then continue next week with the rest. But our speech, yeah, our speech. We'll see where we're at. Look at verse 28, or look verse 29, sorry. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our speech, our speech reflects who we are. This word corrupt, it means rotten, putrid, vicious, foul, and pure. That's what God says. Don't let anything rotten, putrid, depraved, vicious, foul, or impure come out of your mouth. Like I said, these are not suggestions. He's not suggesting we do this. These are all commands. They're all in the imperative. So Jesus is commanding our speech to be this way. And our speech is a revealer of our heart. That's what Jesus says. Listen to Matthew 12, 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasures brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on that day of judgment, people will give account for every, look at the words up there if you don't have your Bibles, account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's saying every careless word you speak. Parents, be careful how you speak with your kids. Bosses, be careful how you speak to your employees. Pastors, be careful how you speak to God's sheep. This is what he's saying, careless words. Careless words, we've got to be so, so good. But he says our speech should be gracious speech, speech that builds up each other. Listen to Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's to build each other up. Proverbs 10, 31 and 32. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is perverse. Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise commands knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness is... In it breaks the spirit. Got to be sure that we don't have this perverseness in it. Luke 4, 22. 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build one another up with our words. And again, we see that Jesus is the example of this. The same verse. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. No corrupting words came out of Jesus' mouth at all. None whatsoever. Can you guys give me 10 more minutes? Are we good? I can finish it in like seven. So let's just keep going, right? So, so we're not to have this corrupting talk. We're to have building up talk with each other. Fifth, we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians later on will tell us that we are not to quench the Holy Spirit. Right? We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. This word grieve, it means to feel pain or crossed or vexed. Isn't that crazy that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? We can cause the Holy Spirit pain? We can do that by our lives, by not being obedient to God. We grieve the Holy Spirit. And if we grieve the Holy Spirit enough, our hearts begin to get hard and they're hardened. And we don't even feel that leading anymore. We don't even have that conviction anymore. When you have conviction of sin, man, you should, we, we, we should all just praise God because we know that the, the Spirit is alive and working in our lives. But when all of a sudden you've got a dullness and sin doesn't bother you and you're not outraged by, by, by sin that's going on, <coughs> That's how we grieve the Holy Spirit. We are then being influenced by the world. Our mind is not being renewed by Scripture. Our minds need to be renewed by Scriptures. Brothers, sisters, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 63.10 says, But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. This is what God did. Therefore He turned to be their enemy, and He Himself fought against them. Acts 7.51 Listen to what... Uh, This is where Stephen is preaching. You stiff-necked people. How would you like it if I started the sermon that way? You stiff-necked people. You'd probably be like, all right, we're out of (laughs) here. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. What a thought that we are to examine ourselves with. Do you and I resist the Holy Spirit? Do we resist his leading? Is it always our plan? This is my plan. You're not going to thwart it. Hey, listen, brothers and sisters, God's got a plan for all of us, and it's a perfect plan. Don't resist his spirit. Embrace that spirit and walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Number six, there's a change in heart with, uh, with actions towards each other. Listen to what the, what, what the word says. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgave you. We have a heart change. We are to put off, right? This is what we are to put off. We're to put off all bitterness. We're not to have bitterness in our life. That harshness. We all know when we bite into something bitter, right? We get that, right, or sour, same type of stuff, we get that thing. No bitterness is to be in our hearts. None. 
Listen, if we don't deal with our bitterness, it just compounds. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's compounding it. Let all bitterness, right? Let all bitterness. If we don't deal with our bitterness, we become, we, we have wrath and anger in our lives. We have a swelling of anger. We, we, we get indignant. We, we, we have clamor in our lives. We, we have shouting and bursts of anger. We, 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 then, we then, if we're not putting away that bitterness, because that bitterness most of the time is against somebody, right? We're bitter towards somebody. What's the next step that happens? We begin to slander that person. That's what we do. We begin to slander. Uh, uh, that word slander means a railing reproach. We speak bad about them all the time. We cannot say anything good about that person. Why? Because we never dealt with the bitterness. You have to deal with the bitterness, right? Listen what the verse says. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you. Be put away. Put it away. Get rid of it. That's what he's saying. Get rid of it. And malice. Malice comes after slander, and it's maligning. We begin to malign that person. If we don't deal with our bitterness, we are to put off the wicked heart because that is not us anymore and we're to put on the new heart. And what's this new heart? It's kindness. We're to be kind to one another. Gracious, that's what the word means. It means being gracious. God is gracious to us, right? For by grace we've been saved. We see God's grace in our salvation. And the word grace means unmerited favor that's how we're to be with each other we're to have this unmerited favor with each other we're to be gracious to each other why because we see how gracious our god is not for me to be put up but we see how gracious god has been as he has elected you and as he has adopted you and as he has put you in christ and as he has forgiven you and that kindness leads to being tender-hearted it's compassionate. It's being compassionate with each other. Not harsh. This is how we are to live, brothers and sisters. <coughs> and finally, we're to forgive each other. We're to have forgiveness. And trust me on this one. Forgiveness is really hard to do when you actually have to forgive somebody that's done something wrong to you. It is difficult to do. As pastors or elders, we can sit here all day and look at each other and say, man, we need to forgive. Yeah, we do. But it's hard. Forgiveness is hard. But, but, but look at what he says. Look at what the apostle says. He gives us the motivation to forgive. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Does God hold it against us? No. We should not hold it against them. He forgave. And that's what that's the example, brothers and sisters. In that forgiveness, we are to forgive as he forgave. So these are characteristics of the new man created. These are sermons within themselves, if we wanted to dive deeper into it. But for time allotted, we can have an overview of how we are to live. So brothers and sisters, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the leading. Put off the old clothes. Put on the new clothes. Forgive each other. Be kind with each other. 
be tenderhearted with each other and therefore glorify God and walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been walked, that we've been called to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for our time. May, Lord, we be encouraged and may we be strengthened and may we build each other up. May we be in each other's lives this week and may we pray this for Faith Bible, Lord, that we would have these characteristics in our lives, that people in the world would see these characteristics in our lives and therefore these characteristics would eclipse us but show Christ and how he is. Oh, Father, strengthen us to walk this way. Amen. Please stand as we...